Hello. Hi. Hey girl, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So I think we're recording right now. So should we just get straight into it? <laughs> sure. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Mary. Welcome back to Health in Hearth. So I've got a lovely lady here. Well, I say lovely lady. We're like the same age. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Erin um, here. She is a young... Uh, educated woman and she's going go to uh, talk about some of her experiences today with um, her battle of anorexia and things of that nature just speaking on her experience. Um, so Erin do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah um, my name is Erin and um, we're around the same age I'm 24 <laughs> and um, yeah I, I have had anorexia binge purge type um, since I was 17 and I'm really glad to be here today. Yay! <laughs> I'm so excited <laughs> to have you on honestly my smile couldn't be bigger, bigger if I tried. Oh but, same! Um... <laughs> oh my gosh should we get some um, into some of the questions that I've got? Yeah yeah okay. sure. Well you kind of answered the first one already but the first one is um, what age were you when you were diagnosed? Yeah, so I was diagnosed at age 17, but I probably developed an eating disorder around age 15. Right, okay. All right, that's interesting. Why do you think it took um, two years? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I honestly think that um, I grew up in a family where mental illness was not really something that was addressed. Mm -hmm. um, I think that definitely there were signs I was struggling prior to developing an eating disorder. And those were also sort of just like swept under the rug as like, we don't want to deal with this. And so I think that even though I remember like my dance teacher and teachers at school and friends even like being concerned earlier, I think that you know, my parents didn't get involved and put me in treatment for a little bit longer just due to some of that stigma around it. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I feel like a lot of families, um, they because mental illness is such a taboo, they just don't address it, even though they might see the signs and see the symptoms, they just would rather mm -hmm. divert from that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I really wish that well, my hopes and dreams are that, you know, the next generation are a lot more open-minded. I think I feel like they are now to mental illness and having mental stability and things like that um, and having it not be so much of a stigma, and you know, to the next generation. But, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, so the next question is, um, what was the recovery process like for you? It has been honestly just so random. Like I think that, um, you know, I mean, since I've sort of been in and out of recovery in one way or another for like nine years now, it's changed a lot. Um, I mean, logistics wise, I started with an intensive outpatient care team. And I know this differs a little bit based on the country you're in, but in the U.S., this consisted of like my therapist and my um, primary care physician and a nutritionist who I would see several times a week each. Um, I've been in and out of partial hospitalization at one point. Someone tried to put me in residential at one point. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, yeah, I think I've definitely had moments that have been more or less intense. Um, but I'm really thankful that at least my therapist has been consistent through all of it. But it's definitely been an up and down process over nine years. Yeah, that's actually interesting that you bring it up because obviously I'm not from America, so I don't know what the healthcare system is like right. over there. But like, it's interesting to get your point of view because it's so it can be it can vary so much from America to the UK because with us, um, it's more it's a lot more difficult to have an outpatient care you know system mm-hmm. compared to having inpatient. Were you scared of being an inpatient at the time? Um, I mean. Yes. Um, Um, This is an interesting one because in hindsight, I found out that a lot of the fight to keep me out of inpatient came from my therapist. Um, Yeah, she has lived experience and she had been an inpatient um, and just didn't have positive experiences. Um, Mm. There's also just so many, so much research out there showing that you know, it's, it's really hard to tell if there's a difference between those who go to inpatient and those who don't ultimately in the time they recover. And in some cases, I think it's like five to 10%, it's shown to actually be harmful. And so I think just accounting for all of that, she was really advocating for me to not go in. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. I just Mm -hmm. knew that she gave me a lot of warning of, you know, if you end up in that situation, a lot of your rights are going to be taken away and sort of given your other diagnoses, given your other history that we're dealing with, like specifically trauma, like having that control taken away from you is probably going to do more harm than good. So I really want to try to keep you out of that situation. So I, I think it was something that I knew probably wouldn't be a good fit for me, but I sort of tried when I went to the partial hospitalization for a little bit and very quickly I was like yeah no like I can't this isn't a good fit for me but I know I've heard for some people it's been so so helpful so I really think it depends on the person yeah it's very hit and miss and it's interesting that you found this after the fact but it is interesting how she was advocating on your behalf because for a lot of therapists well that's actually not right not true but (laughs) (laughs) for a few people that are in the healthcare profession the easiest way of recovery in their minds would just be to admit the person into an inpatient clinic for example and it's not essentially the best way like the best um, solution for a lot of people especially like Mm -hmm. you said is um, other are going through other things in addition to anorexia Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really it's just interesting like how when did you find out? Was it like a few years after? Or... Oh, no, this was literally in the past year. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. Wow. So it was very recently, just sort of because um, through my Instagram account, I have um, as well as just like during my master's right now, I'm going for a master's in social work and I'm planning to do an eating disorder specialization down the line. And so when I was talking about that and talking about some of the research projects I've been doing surrounding eating disorders and the things I've been learning about inpatient, it just sort of came up and it's something that she, her and I had a conversation about. So very, very recent. Wow. So you're still in contact with her then. That's amazing. Oh yeah. So I've had her as my therapist through the whole thing, but I know that doesn't happen with people frequently. Um, I mean, I live farther away now, so sometimes I have to 
thankfully with telehealth, it's easier right now. But sometimes I have to like drive an hour to see her, but it's still worth it because I mean, I was one of those super stubborn clients where I did not open up for like the first five years. So finding a new therapist would honestly be like starting that whole process over again. And I think at this point, I need to be continuing to do the work and not like getting in my own way by trying to choose a slightly more convenient therapist over the one that I have. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. Well, seeing as you're doing your master's, my girl's got experience. Uh, <laughs> thank you. No, I'm, I'm, that's, that's fantastic, honestly. But, um, okay. Uh, next question, shall we? What, I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> what are some of the stereotypes that you hear um, about anorexia? Yeah, I mean, I think a big stereotype is that you're... Um, particularly underweight or you're bony or people will sometimes like compare you to a skeleton even and it's just simply not true I think that behaviorally I had anorexia long before my BMI was long enough to get the diagnosis and because of that there's some people who have the behaviors and they're living with the mental part but they still don't get a diagnosis and so I think this is you know partially a medical field issue but it's also an issue in how we as people talk about it because then we reinforce some of those things that's oh my gosh I really agree with you like one of the one of my closest friends she actually um because I didn't know she was going through this at the well I didn't know her at the time but I met her not long after and she actually told me today that you know she was actually when she was diagnosed with anorexia it was a long period of time after she herself had been going through the motions and it's just interesting how they only diagnose when you're significantly underweight but you know Mm -hmm. if the help and support was out there before you got to that point you know things may not have gotten as bad as they may have like as as uh, as long uh, I can't talk today (laughs) (laughs) as um, bad as they had Um, but it's just so interesting how things are based on BMI alone and yeah fat content and all this kind of thing it's like for some people like they might not develop anorexia but they might um, develop bulimia and they would maintain the same weights but they're still you know, under, you know, medical terms, they're unhealthy and they're not going through the mm-hmm. healthy way of, you know, eating and things like that. But, oh, it's just, there's just so much to go into, isn't there? Yeah, no, there's, there's so much, especially with the BMI and just, you know, how it's so arbitrary and it was never created to be used for the things that's being used for. I think, yeah, it's definitely really challenging, but it's something that hopefully, you know, in the next few years, we'll start to see some more change around. Because like, I think another big stereotype is just that eating and weight gain is the primary sign of recovery. And that's also not true. It's just one part of it for some people. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Oh, my gosh. It's like one mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, let's go to the next question. Um, During the recovery process, have you ever felt alone? Like, has there been a period of time where you felt alone? Yeah. I mean, I didn't have very many people in my life who understood eating disorders. Um, I mean, that being said, like, the people who shared their story with me when they saw me struggling, like, I remember that um, my dance teacher pulled me aside. One of my aunts pulled me aside. My therapist, of course, was open about her own her own background. And I think that their vulnerability helped with that loneliness. 
Um, mm. I think having a few friends who really stuck with me through that helped the loneliness. But I mean, it does feel lonely because there's this aspect of not having people in your life who get it. But I think there's also this aspect of like, even, even the people who are supportive of you, they really expect you to just like get better already. And sometimes you can't yet. And that just really sucks where, you know, people are expecting you to be healing faster than you can. And Mm. it almost feels like there's like social consequences sometimes of not healing as quickly as people expect you to. And I think that that part always felt really lonely. Yeah, definitely. Wow. That's really interesting that you said that. Did you miss out on any like um, significant milestones in your life? Like, for example, prom or a graduation Mm. or birthdays and things like that? Was there any situations like that that happened to you? Uh, I mean, I think that I didn't miss out as in I didn't go to them but I think I definitely missed out as in like fully experiencing them like I remember my um I was unwell at both of my proms but I remember specifically at my senior prom um you know the the boy who I went with he wanted to go bowling afterwards and like I was so unwell that I didn't have the energy to go bowling afterwards um and like they they were talking about going to a diner and that was giving me anxiety of like what if I'm going to be around food and so I just like went home um so I think yeah I think like situations like that where um I probably could have been more present and enjoyed them more had I not been fixated on my eating disorder. Um, But I I mean, I'm very fortunate in being able to like graduate on time, being able to successfully go to college. But I definitely think that in that presence kind of way, I missed out on some things. Yeah, definitely. If you could go back, would you change anything? This is so interesting. I was actually just asked this question the other day because I'm reading <laughs> The Midnight Library by Matt Haig for a book club. Um, wow. And I'll add it to my list. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, but that question really comes up. And honestly, no, but I wouldn't have said that if you asked me like, even two years ago, I probably would have been like, yeah, I want to change this and this and this and this. But I think that just like, thinking about how changing one thing could change the place I'm at now just makes me be like, no, because obviously I don't like, I wish I didn't go through those things, but I ultimately wouldn't change them because I wouldn't want to risk losing any of the good things that I have in my life today. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh, that falls falls perfectly into the next question. The next question (laughs) is, what's life like now for you? Because like, you know, you're doing your master's. I am jelly. But you know, you're a smart gal. It's just so impressed. But like, thank you. Yeah, what is life now? Like, what what is life like now for you? Um, I mean, it's so lovely. For I mean, in so many ways, I I want to be straight up that like, again, even three years ago, like I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, but right now, it's yeah. It took me a while to feel that way that I. I could genuinely sit there and be like, yeah, I had a good day the other day. Not okay, but like actually good. And so I think that, yeah, right now it's really lovely. I think a big thing was sort of like developing independence. Um, I think that a lot of the stressors um, that contributed to my eating disorder sort of came from 
um, my home situation and that lack of independence. And so gaining that was like definitely one step in the right direction. Um, I think things like you know, grad school, I'm loving grad school so, so, so much, just being able to be in a place where I'm actually thinking of using my experience um, to help other people in the future is amazing. I love my job. I currently work um, as a therapeutic mentor. So I basically do community-based therapeutic support alongside their master's level therapist um, and sort of help them work on like social communication goals or emotional regulation goals. And I love every second of that. Like kids are so, so, so great. Um, I mean, my partner, John, he is absolutely amazing. The close friends who I have in my life are amazing. So yeah, I feel like things are Obviously, life isn't perfect, but I think that now it's gotten to a place where I no longer feel like most of the days of my week are incredibly hard. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's so motivational because I think, especially, I think you made a post earlier today, actually, that says, you know, um, social media isn't all that there is. You know, some people, like, you put out what you want people to see. Mm -hmm. And when people are in such a low point in their life, they you know they're looking they look towards instagram as escapism i guess as a form of, of escapism and then they see other people's lives appearing to be better than what they're going through at the moment mm-hmm. and they kind of forget that that's what they want to show you like for example people go on vacations and it looks lavish and they're on a yacht and things like that but did they put themselves in debt when they get back home yeah what are they gonna have like noodles is, is that all they're gonna have to eat can they pay their rent yeah. you know, stuff like that um but it's so interesting how like now you you wouldn't take anything back which is amazing because of the life that you have now and it's it's the process do you know what I mean it's the progress as well like how far you've come mm-hmm. um like not only have you done an undergrad you're doing a master's and then your aim is you know to do to have an effect on the you know next generation ultimately to help somebody else like the way your therapist has helped you it's just really really motivational to be honest and it's so amazing that there's people that like you out there that are willing to put in the work do you know what I mean yeah no thank you and I think that yeah as you were saying that actually fits so perfectly like I think in that post I mentioned where it's like my life is genuinely so good right now and like I still don't always show people when like something triggers me and I have a total breakdown in front of my partner like I think that there's just always going to be parts that are somewhat difficult that come up in our lives but that doesn't mean that it's not possible to get to a place where you have like overall happiness and health yeah, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. So in during the process um, from where you began to where you are now, what have you found most helpful? Yeah, this was so interesting to think about. Um, I don't know how to explain this very well, but I think I found it most helpful when people treat me gently, but not like I'm sick. I know that sounds really odd, but I think just the people who knew I was ill, knew that an eating disorder was a mental illness and gave me grace because of that knowledge, but they also never said crap like, oh, that's just your eating disorder talking or such, because it's like, only I can say that, like, you're not in my head. And so I think that just having a safe environment where they accepted me as I was um, 
that was huge. Those people have been really huge. Wow. It's kind of difficult to come across people like that, though. Yeah. Like, from what I've found, it's just people, like, if people find out that, for example, someone's um, going through any, like, any type of disorder, let alone it being a mental health illness as well, they just automatically, like, let's say, for example, someone's depressed, they're like, oh, it's a depression talking. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's my life. I'm going through this on a daily basis. And it's, they only see the you know I guess medical term and they don't see the person as a person Mm -hmm. so it's really interesting like that you know you at least you were surrounded by people that were like that because you know some people haven't been so lucky but it's just why it's like why aren't there more people like that in the world I mean it's just common human decency at the end of the day isn't it yeah no there's definitely like very few of them like I think I definitely had a lot of friendships that sort of crashed and burned because people couldn't get beyond seeing me as my sickness which I mean you know, sort of makes sense. Like, I was so deep in it of the, at the time. Like, of course, it's hard to see me outside of it. But I think that those people, it was just really hard to keep relationships with them. And that's not entirely their fault or entirely my fault. I think it was a little bit, um, a little bit both of us. Because um, when yeah. people see you as your sickness, like, that's sort of what, not what you become, but it's like, it's hard to be anything outside of that. But if my friends like knew it and didn't treat me like that, I feel like it, it allowed me to be more than that. Um, And so, yeah, it's definitely, I don't think it's like a one-sided thing. It's not like they were just a bad person, but it definitely helps to have people who are just really, really open and really bring out the best in you. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, oh, what's the next question? Let's see. Oh, here we go. Um, did you find it difficult seeking help? Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is a tough question to answer because I was a minor there at the beginning. So, like, I didn't really yeah. have a choice about seeking help. It was sort of like, oh, you're doing this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, it wasn't my choice, but in general, yes, I very much struggle to seek help. Um, it took a long time for, I think I mentioned this earlier, like it took a long time for me to actually open up and start doing the work with my therapist. It took me a really long time to get to a place where I felt comfortable telling like, not not just like telling close friends that I had an eating disorder, but actually like confiding in them when I was having a hard time. Um, One of my friends, Carissa, she had this setup where I didn't have to explain or go into detail about what was going on, but she would just basically ask me like, how's food going or something along those lines. And I could just say, I'm having a hard time. And she would leave it there unless I wanted to say more. And then she'd just sort of like check in with me more often, but she wouldn't push me about it or like try to fix me or try to be my therapist. And I think that you know, my partner does something very similar, um, where, you know, our, our one thing is that he always said, you know, if you aren't okay, I just need you to tell me. So if I ask you, are you okay? You don't have to talk about it, but you just have to say yes or no, honestly. And I think that things like that, where it gave me space to let someone know I was struggling and let someone know I was not in a good place without necessarily having to get into it or, have them try to offer solutions and try to solve the problem for me. I think just having that space to not be okay um, helped me ask for help more in my life. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, it's just, 
it's just so heartwarming do you know what I mean like knowing that there's people out there that are so supportive but because it's like a lot of people sometimes it can go either way it's either they don't want to hear anything about it at all mm-hmm. or um they want to be the savior yeah. and have like the savior mentality and then they go above and beyond but not in the right direction like you know it's helped me to an extent like I'm not I don't like like, like you said I don't want you to be my therapist I just I'm not okay today so I can't do this kind of thing but yeah. you know hopefully tomorrow's another day hopefully I feel better do you know what I mean that kind of thing but yeah. you know knowing that you have people that are like that around you is just so hard because it does bring um hope to other people that are going through it because it's like for some people they don't have or maybe they're not there yet they may not have people like that that are understanding yet um but it's just comfort to know that the help is out there from people that really do care about you really do love you mm-hmm. um so heartwarming yeah honestly. and honestly it's, it's so like cool. not even always the people who I expected who would handle it really well but it's just like there definitely are people out there who just know how to as you said like not try to be the savior and not try to shut it down completely and just sort of leave space for it yeah definitely so what experience would you give like someone else that's going through similar experiences right now? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I could give so much advice to someone going through similar experiences right now, but I think a big one is, you know, give yourself time and don't give up. Like, I know we're often rushed with eating disorder recovery because it's a life or death thing. And I understand that. And I definitely want everyone to start recovery as soon as possible, just because it is such a high risk. You're, you're playing around with your life. Like that's a big deal. Um, But I think it's, it's like, yes, please try to choose recovery. And like, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to get stuck. It's okay to have slip ups. It's okay if you know, your friend from treatment recovers in a year, and you're still struggling a year later, like everyone's on their own timeline. We all have our own reasons that contributed to our eating disorders. We have our own genetics and environmental factors. And social supports, like we all have such different situations, like it's not even comparable. And Mm. I think that, you know, it doesn't mean you can't do it if you're having a hard time. It just means it's really freaking hard. (laughs) Um, And also just like set boundaries. I think we talked about this earlier, but even though you're sick, like you don't deserve to be treated as less than you don't deserve to be blamed for other people's challenges. You don't deserve to be walked all over. Like just because you're sick doesn't mean that you can't say no to people or you owe people things. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh, I just realized I'm like bobbing my head, nodding, <laughs> like one of those bobble heads. I'm like, yes, I, I really, it's like you're making every valid point that there is ever to be made because it's just, it's so true. Like it's, oh, people, I think at, in the beginning stage, I think people just don't, I think they, it's not, it's naive to say they don't realize it's life or death, but for some people, they just don't want to see it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They don't want to see it as life or death. They just want the outcome to be whatever it is the outcome is in their mind. Mm-hmm. But it's really, it actually is life yeah. or death. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. something you can play around. No, that's uh, that's actually part of the reason I started my Instagram is I started to have a lot of friends and loved ones developing eating disorders. And 
it's so hard because for the first time I was experiencing what my loved ones did, where there's this paralyzing fear of like, do you realize you're messing with your life? But of course, having gone through the experience, I knew that that couldn't, like I couldn't make them recover faster and that wouldn't be fair to them. But for the first time I had that fear. Um, and I think that having conversations with some of those friends and, um, you know, when I first started treatment, I didn't know the girl very well, but there was a girl at my dance studio who passed away because of her eating disorder. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very, very real. And I think just sort of reminding yeah. people in my life, like, no, I've known people who have passed away. Like, this isn't just a thing that's out there and never is going to cross your path. Like, people know people. Um, it's not as uncommon as we like to believe it is. Um, and that's not even counting the, you know, the huge number of people with eating disorders who are also at risk of taking their own life. Um, and so it's just, yeah, I think it's, it's a reality that's really hard to, um, come to terms with because, you want to protect them and you want them to still be there in this world. But then there's this other side of like, you can't push them too hard because they can't see it yet. 100%. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard. Like there's a saying that my mom says, you can't see the picture when you're inside Mm -hmm. the frame. And that's kind of what it is. Like you can't see for some people, you can't see the end goal when you're going through the motions and for some, like for some people like you actually you can't really just push someone or push your ideals on someone just because you think that that's right in that mm-hmm. moment it is a process and for some people it takes longer than others so there was one time I heard um, a family member say to someone that was um, diagnosed with anorexia like snap out of it come on just mm-hmm. do it like just eat and I was like are you are you all right yeah. like are you sane like do you understand what you're saying it isn't that simple you can't just just eat like it's it's not possible but it's just oh it's insane like the way some people think about um their approaches when they talk to people that are going through something it's just it's yeah um yeah definitely like some of those people who I feel like they sort of like read an article about an eating disorder once and then like made a bunch of assumptions and like they did a little (laughs) bit of work but that's almost more harmful than good because then they develop their own assumptions about like what that means about how you think in your brain. And like, yeah, I definitely think that people are often well-intended, but they just, you know, you can't read one article and all of a sudden understand the experience and it's not as simple as just eating. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Oh, wow. I do agree with you there. But um, um, from, my, from my experience working with people that have, um, eating disorders they found certain things helpful could it so it could be reading or drawing mm-hmm. or painting or you know things like that have you like do you have anything that has been helpful like towards your recovery oh boy I mean first and foremost therapy um I do want mm. to acknowledge that like in many ways right now um due to the way our healthcare systems are set up in different places therapy is a privilege to a lot of people Um, who are able to make that work financially. Um, And there's, there's slowly becoming more for affordable options, but that's still very, that's still very new. And there's a lot of therapists who due to COVID, you know, their, their wait lists are so, so backed up right now. So I definitely want to acknowledge that. And I think that like therapy has been 
incredibly helpful just for always having a space to talk about things and not having it a I think I was just talking about this with my therapist the other day, actually, where it's like having a space where you can bring up the same things again and again and again, and no one's going to be like, oh, stop talking about it already. Um, It's like your space to keep processing those things as they come up for you. And I think that's been so helpful because it's not it's not someone who's going to be like, "Okay, it's time to move on now. It's someone who's going to really like sit with it and ask questions about why that's coming up for me. Um, I mean, I also think um, just connection with people has been so huge. Um, I know my, my auntie and my uncle who I am very close with, um, they would take me up to, their lake house and just like help me get space and sort of be at peace and I could like sit there and read and relax and so I think that finding like small ways to connect with people or travel and get space from things even if it's just like visiting other family just like to get out of my house when I was when I was in that place like I think that was really helpful just just getting into a different space a little bit sometimes Um, whether it be like jumping in a car and driving to Boston with a friend or like the trip to the lake, like whatever. I think sometimes just changing my scenery a little bit helps a lot. Of course, then I would have to like account for food stuff and like figure out how I was going to make sure to do all of that. So it's definitely not like the simplest thing, but for me just being able to have to separate a little bit, um, was very helpful. Um, and then sort of just more like the connection piece. I mean, yeah, I mean, my partner has been, I think, obviously I did the work. Um, but I think that I think that this past, you know, year of recovery, especially like having moved in with him and had him as just like a consistent, um, support has helped me be more consistent. Um, in my recovery. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think, yeah. No, it does. It definitely does. Yeah. That is so sweet. Honestly, like having, having something that is a consistent aspect in your life actually does help. And that's for like a variety of um, situations in life, but it's just so sweet that, you know, you have that support system. Like I said earlier, it's just like having people that understand it's just it's really a blessing it really really is um and it's just so nice that there's people out there that are like that and you know that are willing to help and willing to put in the work with you and things like that um the last question I think you kind of answered already but it's um were you ever on medication ng feeding or therapy and it was like if so how has that worked for you but um Um, well (laughs) the medication one is interesting so I, I was experiencing like a lot of issues with like hormones, um, especially at the beginning of recovery. So I guess technically I've been on different medications for like balancing hormones or trying to adjust them. Um, that did not end well for me personally. Um, but I did have that. I've also been on medication on and off for ADHD, because that's something that I finally got diagnosed with like several years ago as an adult. And it all of a sudden, like everything 
from school and the challenges I had in school just suddenly made so much sense. Like, um, yeah. yeah. And so I think that I took medication for that at one point, although that's like sort of, yeah, some people refuse to prescribe it to people with eating disorders because it can result in increased metabolism and weight loss. Um, but I, I think that, mm. I mean, this is like a whole side tangent, but I definitely think that like people, they need to be providing people with focus issues with medication to properly support their focus because otherwise it's going to inhibit their recovery because they're not going to like remember to eat like, and not just for the eating disordered behavior version of forgetting to eat, but like the legitimate ADHD, like got hyper-focused on an assignment and now it's 4 PM and you missed lunch kind of, mm-hmm. um, kind of forgetting. So I think that, you know, I'm not on that currently just because it was like causing a lot of issues with my anxiety and sort of right now I'm just like, taking a little bit of a break from some of that to like level out a bit. Um, but something I've taken mm. for anxiety that isn't necessarily medication, but I've started using CBD in the evenings. Um, I have, yeah, I have like no tolerance for medication or anything. So I only take a very, very, very small amount, but it's been really helpful with sleeping <laughs> and just like my general anxiety levels but it made my head a little foggy if I took it during the day but that's something that was you know a lot of people recommended for anxiety and I've really yeah I've wow I've actually not heard that CBD helped but that's I'll I'll definitely have um yeah into that but that's really interesting so yeah so I I I'm a baby and I take like the little gummy, um, but I take it, I take it in the <laughs> evening and then I take like my one melatonin with it. I found that if I take them together, that's like the most helpful, but I didn't like the gummy that had melatonin in it because that one was too strong for me. It was too strong of a dose. Um, yeah. So that's what I do. I think everyone's a little bit different. Like my, uh, my partner, John tried it and like did not have, it did not help his anxiety whatsoever. So I think that people are, people are different, but it, it does work for me. So. Mm. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm definitely, I've actually never heard of like it working for anxiety. So I'm definitely yeah. going to have a look. I don't know why, because it makes sense when you think about it really, but I don't know. It's just, I've just, it's always been like, well, because I'm so like medically focused, it's maybe it's, maybe it's my mentality that's just like, pills 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 but it's not always pills yeah alternatives yeah yeah it's really interesting yeah yeah and I I think it's definitely like depends on the person like I don't think I would have any issue with taking medication for my anxiety like I've taken medication for plenty of other things so I'm definitely not anti-medication but I love trying like natural Mm -hmm. methods first and then trying medication I'm definitely one of those people um but yeah, I just don't take the one with THC because any amount of THC can be risky to someone with a background of like psychosis in their family, which I have. So right. wouldn't recommend THC for anyone with psychosis in their family history. But other than that, like, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Oh my gosh, it was just so nice talking to you today. Honestly, like I feel like I've kind of learned a lot myself. 
it's kind of like you know as you're like doing your masters I'm like you're my lecturer oh my and I'm the student so I'm learning that you're too much no I'm just you know I'm just a nerd it's <laughs> it's it's really not intelligence it's just nerdiness at this point <laughs> like <laughs> no honestly nerds are the best I've kind of I've kind of admitted to myself I'm morphing into a nerd I honestly don't believe I was a nerd before but you know my boyfriend's a nerd and then I feel like I've kind of morphed into the the nerd mentality like I don't like even the simplest of things we were watching WandaVision this morning and I was like I'm excited for the next episode like I I was I'm a Kardashian watcher by nature <laughs> And now I'm watching Marvel every week on the dot when they're releasing at 8 oh a.m. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, what have you done to me? Like, I I was a cheap. No, that's yeah, too funny. No, like, Defo. yeah, no, John will watch documentaries. <laughs> so he just like we're always like watching like these really interesting but like weird documentaries, and then comedy, and there's like no in between. <laughs> And so just like the number of random facts I've learned from from him watching documentaries is insane. So I resonate with that. Oh my gosh, thank you. I, at least I know I'm not alone. No. I'm not alone of the of the nerd voice. <laughs> not at all. Category. <laughs> oh, but it was a pleasure having you today. Honestly, I yeah. really appreciate it. Um you do post like uh, really motivational, um, you know, messages and things on your Instagram. So you can say what your Instagram I mean, is if you'd like. Sure, so yeah, it's uh, it. it's at existing <laughs> as Erin, um, E R I N, and yeah, I mean, definitely follow if you want to. Recently started making reels, so I feel like a real Instagrammer now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pun <laughs> intended. Oh my gosh, no, Erin, you're <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, it's so bad, but it's like, you just got to embrace these parts of yourselves, and yeah. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> oh my gosh, getting off therapist over here, I'm talking about me. parts work, but. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay, yeah, so it was lovely having you on. Um, thank you so much for coming on yeah. today. I really, really appreciate it, and you know, sharing your personal experiences and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you and so much. You know, happy to always chat again in the future and stay in touch. This was, this was lovely. Definitely, 100%. Oh, thank you. You Have too, nice Mary. Day, Bye. <laughs> Bye.